What's up, closers? This is Dominic Caminata here with Nick Richmond with Gross University. This is our third ever Yes, I Am a Closer podcast. And it's probably the most special podcast we're ever going to have because we're really we're really excited about the guests we're going to be talking to today. This is the, the godfather behind our entire operation here at Gross University. We're excited to announce that this podcast is going to feature Rick Grosso himself. And before we introduce Rick Grosso, we just want to tell a little bit of a story is kind of the rise to Grasso University, how this even happened. So Nick Richmond actually met Grasso University about 17, or Rick Grasso about 17 years ago, and I met him about 10 years ago. And for me personally, my story with Rick, I got into the home improvement industry with zero sales experience. I <laughs> didn't know how to close the door with the wind behind me when I first got into the business. And thank God the company that I worked for possessed this gift this this precious gem that I call the Grasso 10-step methodology. And when I first saw Rick Grasso on video, I was mesmerized by the guy. I couldn't believe his confidence, how articulate he was, and just how much he truly mastered the art of in-home selling. And I believed in it so much that I spent every waking moment for probably the first six months listening to his audios, watching this guy on video, and literally going from no sales experience, following the Grasso system, it led me to three consecutive Salesman of the Year awards, helping build one of the most high-performing sales teams in the country, and of course, now being a part of Gross University, seeing the success that we have. But going back over nine years ago, uh, when I first got the first Salesman of the Year award, I was uh, blessed to go out to dinner with this gentleman, Rick Grasso, at a place called Roos Chris, <laughs> and this is where I was getting recognized for my first Salesman of the Year. And I didn't say this publicly at the time, but I was really proud to be the top salesman. But when I met Rick in person, I was just in awe over Rick. Uh, obviously, he was like a celebrity to me, a guy I really admired and looked up to. I made a promise to myself that very evening. It's like, I didn't want to just master the Grasso system. I wanted to become Rick Grasso. <laughs> and that's a big, hairy, audacious goal, as we say, right? So again, you become what you think about, right? So the, the mind can only hold one thought at a time, positive or negative. And I was certain and positive that I could do it, right? So I made it my mission at that point to truly become a master at the Grasso methodology and know it so well that Rick Grasso would have no choice <laughs> but to allow me to carry on his amazing legacy. And uh, what happened was February of 2019, I think it was February, Rick Grosso had his last ever uh, closers camp. So Rick Grosso threw seminars for many, many years, some of the, the best seminars ever in the home improvement industry called closers camps. And I had attended these events and um, I've of course been closers camp champion. And when I heard this is last ever closers camp, I'm like, this is an opportunity I can't pass up, right? Opportunity is knocking so hard that his knuckles are bleeding. So I talked to uh, Nathan Richmond, uh, the sale, the owner of Mad City. I was a sales manager. I said, we have to go to this last ever closers camp because I need to talk to Rick. <laughs> uh, so we went to the closers camp. It was in Washington, D.C. Um, of course, I won the closers camp because <laughs> I wasn't going to let anybody beat me. And we actually ended up taking this uh, gentleman, Rick Grosso, out to dinner at this really amazing French restaurant that he recommended. And we made this proposition that we wanted to carry on his legacy. And thank God, you know, over the last 10 years, we've become very close. I always made a point to let Rick know that, you know, I'd love to be his wingman, so to speak, and carry on his legacy. And Rick uh, was, again, nice enough to us and had enough respect for us to allow us to do that. So that was really the, the start of Grass University. And at that point in time, we wanted to make sure that if we're starting this Grass University, we want the best team possible. And we reached out to Nick Richmond. We're like, you got to be a part of this because Nick is a mastermind. Uh, he built Matrix from, from zero to what it is today, a $50 million a year powerhouse. And the knowledge that Nick Richmond possesses is unlike anything else. And we can both honestly say that without Rick Grosso and the methodology, neither of us would be here. <laughs> neither of us would be here. So we're very honored to have this guest. And I'll let Nick chime in. But the, this is a very special podcast, and we're very excited for all of you to get to know Rick Grosso personally. Yeah, hey, hi, Rick. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate you. Hey, Nick. How are we doing? We're fantastic. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, <laughs> I think Dom's story, you know, I'll keep mine brief, but I think it's it's much like, you know, many of those successful home improvement uh, sales representatives and business owners in the industry. Uh, you know, for me personally, and, and Rick probably remembers this, I'm sure he does, 17 years ago, this young 
energetic kid that probably wouldn't stop bothering him with questions. And, you know, same way like Dom described, I was enamored with Rick's charisma. I think what I like about Rick's training is that it's it's educational, it's informational, but it's also entertaining. Mm -hmm. It's motivational. It's somewhat simple from the standpoint that someone brand new to the industry can attend one of his camps and walk away prepared to go out and make a killing. And so, you know, as a young guy from Flint, Michigan, never having earned, you know, substantial money, not really ever having been around substantial money, that was an opportunity for me to grab a hold of something that I probably never would have been able to uh, fathom. And the company I worked for at the time, they had a really interesting training program. <laughs> they gave you a sample kit, they gave you a lead, and they gave you a contract and they said, good luck, right? So they boot you out the door, baptism by fire, and Nathan Richmond, my older brother, uh, luckily had came across the Rick Grasso sales methodology. Um, you know, he was mastering it. He was a top rep in the organization. He said, listen, Nick, don't worry about what the company offers for training. This is the training you need. Subscribe to this. Eat, sleep, and breathe the Rick Grasso sales methodology, and you're going to do just fine. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and ever since then, you know, we've, we've, we've been followers of Rick and his methodology. Now, from an owner level, you know, from my seat, you know, the, the area of Grasso University I focus on, business development, the CEO level content. Um, you know, I think most of that, which I possess, came from Rick as well through his owner's camp. So, I mean, a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, this guy has energy like no other. You know, that's the other thing that I think is really impressive. We're really looking forward to having him with us at our next event. We're looking forward to, um, you know, continuing to build upon this program. Just want to thank you for being with us again, Rick, and, and uh, welcome to our podcast. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Great seeing both of you. Beautiful to see you without a mask on as well. The world has changed. Nowadays, if you walk into a bank without a mask on, you get arrested. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it is, uh, it's nice to be here, and it's nice to finally see the world opening up again. And I think it's good timing to have this podcast, too, for those people who are maybe driving around in their car listening to this or watching it on their iPad, getting their mind right and getting their, getting their, their reset button hit so they can get prepared to go out and kill it. And so I think the timing of this podcast couldn't be better. Um, why don't you start off, Rick, by just giving those who are listening a, a little bit of your background. You know, I know a lot of those listening probably are already familiar with you, but for those who aren't, could you, could you tell us a little bit about Rick Grasso and, and kind of how you got started and, and the journey you've been on up until now? Uh, I graduated from college, became a school teacher, music education, as a matter of fact, teaching music. Uh, love teaching, love music, love teaching the schools. Only one problem with that. Guess what that was? No money. My first year teaching, I was making $141 take home bi-weekly. I used to call that very weekly. <laughs> <laughs> so during summer vacation, one of the salesmen who used to visit me at the school, since I was a music teacher, would come and sell his instruments and stuff, said, hey, Rick, you want to make some extra money? Do you need some money? <laughs> Do I need money? Uh, it would take home of what, $70.50 a week? Yeah, I could use money. He said, there's this great in-house selling concept. I said, well, wait a second, I can't sell. I can't sell. I don't know how to sell. He said, what do you have to lose? That was true. What did I have to lose? So that's how I first got involved selling. That was the background that got me into sales during that summer when I really needed some money desperately as a school teacher, living in a very wealthy community in Santa one of the wealthiest in America. It was tough. So what happened was uh, I went out with direct selling in home. And, uh, you know, then my first two months, I did I sold a lot. 100% commission. I did a lot of selling. I sold my car. I sold my stereo. I sold my TV. I went 60 days without a sale. 100% commission. Can you figure out what my earnings were? <laughs> Not very much. <laughs> Not very much. On the 61st day, I finally got my first sale. Interestingly, my manager was a super salesman. He was actually honored in a national organization to be one of the top salespeople in America, a guy named Al Pangro. Remember, here I was, a young kid in my 20s. I go running the office. I'm waving the paperwork around. Oh, oh I got a sale. I got a sale. He says, settle down, kid. Settle down. Let's turn into a learning experience. Talk about it. What objections did you overcome at the end? They said, none. When the presentation was over, the prospect says, what do I need to do to get started? Being sharp, I figured that was a buying sign, right? <laughs> So Al says to me, okay, what happened next? You sign him up right then and there? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, I didn't have any paperwork on me. 
He says, you didn't have any paperwork on you. Why not? I said, uh, I never needed it before. <laughs> he said, well, at least you had to do a master presentation. Not really. He says, what do you mean, not really? See, one of the things I forget to mention, after 60 days without a sale, the only reason they hadn't fired me, we had to develop our own leads. So they had no money invested in me. They didn't give us any leads. I was developing all my own leads. So I had a lead that night, 60 days without a sale. You know what it's like on the road, eating in fast food places, putting gas in your car, running around, no money coming in. So this other salesman, Hal Nevins, was a pretty good salesman, didn't have a lead that night. So I says, Hal, you don't have a lead. Why don't we go together? I have a lead. You do the demo, it's my lead. So Hal did the presentation. I didn't even do the presentation. And then, of course, I didn't have the paperwork. So my manager says, man, you stink. You are terrible. He said, you want to learn how to sell? I said, are you kidding? 60 days I've been doing this. Of course I want to learn how to sell. The only reason I hadn't quit, other sales were making more money than I could dream of. He says, then kid, if you want to learn how to sell, you need to go and get some training. You want to go get some training? I said, absolutely. He says, okay, there's a class we'll teach you how to sell. You want to go to it? I says, absolutely. He said, it costs $500. <laughs> My commission on that sale is going to be a split of $140. I said, I don't have 500 bucks. My manager looked at me and said, you went through five years of college, become a school teacher, you've been working as a school teacher, and you don't have $500. You need it more than anybody. Get in there. Well, make a long story a little bit longer. I went in there. They gave us a manual, 82 pages thick in-home scripted presentation. They said, learn it verbatim. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Either way, you're correct. Henry Ford quote. They taught us all the closes verbatim. Of course, you know, at that time, I was in my 20s. How many years ago you think that was? Don't answer. Of course, people have changed a lot since then. As I mentioned, the world's been changing. So the objections we got then were totally different than today. We used to get objections you hear today, like, I got to think about it. I can't make a decision in one night. That's a lot of money. I want to get three quotes. So people have really changed a lot, haven't they, over the years? And they scripted how to overcome those objections. Well, I went out of there, made a little over $2,000. And the month after that, over $9,000 commission. Tough decision. I love teaching, but I wanted a better lifestyle for my family. And that's how I got started. Here I am. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And I love hearing that. And obviously we, we love how you tell it too. And who, who are some, you know, you've, you've rattled off throughout all the different camps I've attended. You've rattled off at least a good dozen or so mentors you had growing up, you know, books you read, you know, content you subscribe to. Could you say, what are the top five that you would tell the listeners they should take a look at? We're going way back. But, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill to me still I've probably read that book 11 times. Yeah. In my career, anytime I felt down, I went back and reread that. Whether the mind of man can conceive and believe it will achieve. My big challenge, I had no self-confidence. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And when I went out there for 60 days, every time I didn't make a sale, self-confidence went a little lower and a little lower and a little lower. We were below ground zero. There's no question about that. Okay, so I needed to really start thinking differently. Uh, your thinking is everything. So that was a, the magic of believing, the uh, greatness of the mind, all these motivational books. And I was a, I would say tape, but back in those days, we were listening to eight tracks in the car. <laughs> but I listened to them all, all the great sales trainers. School is never out for the pro. I wouldn't go on a lead without listening to a tape. Okay, because when I got there, I wanted to be up. I wanted to be excited. I wanted to be convinced. So I think, you know, a lot of it came from that. And I think the thing you can take away from my experience, man, uh, Dominic said it. I couldn't close the door with the wind behind me. I mean, it was incredible how bad I was. Absolutely incredible. People said, do you, you know how to close? I said, I can't even afford clothes. Are you kidding me? Do I know how? The point is, with the right training, it's the training. It's the training. As long as you want, master it. The yeah. same guy who went 60 days without a sale, all of a sudden, sales became easy. Mm -hmm. Objects in motion stay in motion. The confidence starts building. When that 
often starts to build. You can't wait till you get to the next league. Man, I remember during those first 60 days, I got to a point I wish the people weren't home rather than face another disappointment. So once you get that training, and the training has to be something that's duplicatable, that's learnable, that can be transferred. That's the whole concept of Gross University. That's why I'm thrilled about what you guys are doing. I really appreciate it. I love it. Yeah, and I think a lot of managers and trainers really need to take responsibility for that because that's one thing we see with a lot of the people we're talking with is the training is is very, very poor. And then once the, the sales rep gets out of training, it's sink or swim, right? They just kind of let them fend for themselves and you know hope to God that they make it, hope they don't. And kind of like your story, there's so many stories from our personal experience and from people we talk to where a sales rep mainly is struggling and you give them the right post-training support, molding, education, kind of, you know, keeping the field in the trenches with your guys. And all of a sudden, this guy becomes an all-star selling three or four million a year. I just got a call from one of our customers yesterday, and I, I wanted to talk about this. It's really exciting. This is a guy. He just became a Grass University subscriber here about two weeks ago. And he had this sales rep in the month of May that sold less than 20%, was really struggling, was doing okay, but was really struggling, right? For the last two weeks, this guy has been, you know, going credit to this kid, he's pouring his heart and soul into learning the methodology that we train on. He's at 130,000 for the month of June. He just sold a $60,000 deal yesterday. This kid is setting the world on fire. And the guy, the owner, his name is Rob. He's from um, Bordner Construction out of Kansas City. And the guy is just, he's like, I got to call you, Dominic. I'm just so excited. But that's the power of the methodology. And, you know, the thing I love that you say that some sales trainers don't necessarily agree with is salespeople can be made into all-stars. They're not necessarily born. It's not like they come out of the womb and they know the methodology, right? And some people claim that. And again, I understand there's some people that have a higher level of confidence and a certain demeanor about them, but the methodology is trained. And what you did for me, Rick, which I'll eternally be grateful for, is you trained that belief in me. You trained me to believe in you and your system and your methodology. And when your salespeople go into the house at that level of belief, it's game over, right? They have to believe in what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, I'm a terrible artist. In fact, you've seen my handwriting on boards and everything. I terrible script, uh, not a steady hand, terrible artist. When I was a kid, they used to have the paint by numbers. You ever seen that? Things that have a number on it. Number one, you take paint number one and put it there. Number two, paint number two. And when I painted by numbers, all of a sudden I had these beautiful looking paintings. That's what we're doing with the training. It's a paint by numbers. Yeah. You know, they say 80-20 rule. 80% of your business by 20%. In a home improvement business, it's even worse. We don't get 20% to succeed by themselves. It's much worse. So how do we turn that around. How do we change it so 80% succeed? You have to paint by numbers. You have to have a training system in place, basically, that they can follow. I relate it to McDonald's. Now, who cooks the French fries at McDonald's? Emerald? Chef, Chef Jean-Paul? <laughs> so, some 16-year-old kid squeezes his whiteheads, right? Oh, no, that's Kentucky Fried Chicken for the 14 that's secret ingredients. Yet the fries come out perfectly. Why? Everything is exact. They don't leave it up to anyone how to cook the fries. The cooker, you cook the fries in the spec by McDonald's. You have no choice. There's a line on the cooker. That's where the oil goes to. So you always have the right amount of oil. It only cooks to one temperature. So you have the right amount of oil. It cooks the perfect temperature. They have a basket. You put the fries in the basket. You press the button. The basket goes down. They even pre-cut the fries so they're the right size so you can't overcook or undercook them. How do you screw up the fries? You got to do something creative to <laughs> yeah. mess it up. You have to step out of the box to mess it up. You can't build a sales force that's going to have a large degree of success and reverse the 80-20 rule unless you have a systematic. It's got to be beyond systematic. It's got to be an exact, whether it comes to the 10-step selling process, when it comes to the script and the presentation, the scripting of the clothes, so that nothing's left to chance. You paint by the numbers. That's what the whole concept was. And that's kind of where I started from. I was not a natural salesperson. That's why you can relate. Okay, if left to my own, I would have never succeeded. We needed the training. Didn't have it to the degree that we've developed since then, of course. But if people are willing to put in the sweat, 
the preparation and truly learn the stuff as both of you did, they have to succeed. It's a given. Yeah, I should have grabbed a. I should have grabbed. I have all these VHS cassettes in my office. Maybe I'll go get them if we take a break or something. But I have all the old "Yes, I Am a Closer" VHS cassettes in my office, <laughs> sitting there on display. And I show people when they come in for interviews, you know, and when we talk, to, to help them understand how you know valuable that content is and how legendary it is and how everlasting it is. Because thinking back to my path and kind of what has got me to this point, which is really only the beginning in my mind is my brother and I, obviously, at the company we were with when we met, you know, it was myself, Nathan, and one other guy, Jason, out of a team of like 17 guys. We were the only three following the methodology. Coincidentally, we were the three top closers, the three top earners in the company. Then we went and worked for a small mom and pop. I don't know if you remember that when Nathan and I went to a small company in Kalamazoo. And they'd been around. They'd been there for 25 years. Absolutely. They had three sales reps there, like most companies, that were just doing their own thing, right? They were they were given leads, the results came in, there was no management, and we went in to revitalize this company. And, and really the first thing we did was we dismissed those three because <laughs> we quickly realized that it was gonna be impossible to teach those old dogs new tricks. And I'll never forget this, Nathan and I, I was living in an apartment, a college apartment at the time. We had your VHS cassettes, we were watching them. As we had on the floor, all the manuals we were printing and stapling together, we brought in 17 people or 18 people for a training, a one-week training. And we said, we're going to put you through a rigorous one-week sales training on this methodology. And when it's over, we're going to test you out. And for those who pass, you can work here. For those who don't, you can't. And I think we kept eight. And that company we took from a $2 million, $3 million a year company that was barely making a profit to kicking out over $12 million a year just like that. you know. And it's just interesting how every step of the way – making the methodology the priority has turned everything into gold, you know? So I think it's just so powerful. One thing I think that uh, is important to talk about, guys, as we're sitting here, is is just that subject of getting companies to uh, handle the change required to implement this methodology. I'm sure you've, uh, out of all the years you've been doing consulting and working with all these different businesses, I'm sure you've recognized that maybe the owner or the sales manager, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, they love the methodology. They see the light bulb go off. But then they go and they, they, they go into the sales meeting and they say, guess what, guys? We got this new sales methodology we're going to start. It's a one-call close methodology. You're going to need to memorize these scripts. And what does everybody do for those who haven't been held accountable before to studying and learning a methodology? Well, how do they typically respond to that? They go back to what they know and are comfortable with, even though it doesn't work for them. They resist, right? They resist the veterans who maybe you know, are kind of spoiled, doing things their own way, the tails wagging the dog, that seems to be a mold that we're still seeing is, is a difficult mold to break through, especially me working with the owners, getting them on our platform. They love it. They pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then they go to implement it and they can't get it to, you know, they can't inject it into the organization. What would you say with all your experience, you know, how would you say that should be approached and how should companies deal with that, that culture shift that sometimes stands in the way, you know, of creating that change that's necessary for them to be able to expand and grow and become profitable. Let me relate to something. I love golf. I started taking up golf late in life because in the business, I used to put in a lot of hours until it got a little more advanced and didn't have to put in the same kind of hours. Only one problem when I first started playing golf, I had a terrible slice, a terrible slice. Why do I have a terrible slice? The methodology was wrong, pure and simple to go take a golf lesson. And he says, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, and here's the right way to do it. Now we show you the right way to do it, to try and do it as what? Uncomfortable, because that's not the way you do it. So you get on the golf course, what's the natural tendency to do? Fall right back into your bad habits. You're with, which is what? It's like a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get owners to bring that across? A, you start with the new people, obviously. You don't let them in the field and they have it perfectly. You don't just hire them and put them through training. You got to test them and test them and test them, as you guys do, until they really have it down. Okay. B, in my own business, they knew no other methodology. But every so often, sales would go down. I would cancel all morning leads and bring them in every morning for a week or two weeks. And guess what? 
They would moan and groan and sales would go right back to the roof. Because what happened when we were this leaving them out there by themselves? They started sliding back and taking shortcuts and going back to the old habits. Mm-hmm. So you got to constantly keep checking and reinforcing that they stay on those presentations, stay on those scripts. You can do it by bringing them in and retraining them, put in front of the room, peer pressure. You have to have a manager who rides with them. Sales management's job is to see what these people are doing. You got to have someone riding with them and check with them. And when they don't know what they're doing, same old excuse. Oh, I, I'm just uncomfortable in front of you. You know what I say to that? Bowl, what's that a part of that word? Chips. Chips. Right? <laughs> I say, spell your name. They rattled off. How come you can spell your name? You were uncomfortable spelling your name? Because you know it. You can do it without thinking. Same has to be true with the presentation and the methodology and the closing. Maybe you know it so well, you can spit it out the same way you do your name. You, you can't, no matter how nervous you are, it won't make any difference. So it's management's responsibility. Understand that. It's yeah. management's responsibility. I know there's a lot of salespeople listening here, and hopefully some of you are self-motivated to the point you don't need management to do it. You're the true champs if you're one of them. Okay, yeah. I have an account who had a great saying. He said, we are, the owner would say, we are the world's greatest daycare center. (laughs) Understand. Yeah, Yeah, Rick, uh, this is a very hot topic. Um, I just got off the phone with two companies in the last two days on this exact topic. They have these managers that they're trying to groom to be the teachers and educators of the Grasa methodology. Because for some of these companies, whether they were in storm chasing or they weren't necessarily in like the retail side of things. Now they're grooming these certain individuals to, in some cases, try to train seasoned veterans, right? Tenured veterans. And sometimes it's hard for them to make the transition. And what I explained to them is the first person that needs to be completely and utterly sold on the methodology is your manager, whoever that is, and they need to master it forwards and backwards. So it's just like as easy as me talking to you right now. It's a language, right? And they need to first master that because what your manager can do then is, and here's what I did personally, I'd have someone ride with me and observe me doing the process to a T the way I trained them and have them see that by following the system, the close becomes easy and it's profitable and it's replicatable and I don't have to think. And my favorite thing always was, Rick, and I'm sure you had this before, where you're on your A game, right? You go into the house and you're so methodical and you got it down. You don't have to think. And you walk out. It looked like the easiest sale on the planet Earth, right? And the person riding with you, well, if all the leads were that easy, (laughs) because you made it look so easy. Right. Yeah, I think what you're saying is belief, right? I mean, they have to believe, right? It was easy for me. I believed in it. Like you said, Rick, it was all I ever knew. Yeah, well, I did I shouldn't say that the first few leads I ran under that training mm-hmm. that they conducted, you know, were pretty painful. Right. So one thing I knew for sure, I believed that that wasn't going to work, whatever that looked like. Right. <laughs> in fact, the first house I went into, I'll never forget, was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was in a historical area, too. So good luck. Good luck selling vinyl windows in a historical area. OK, so for for one, I probably shouldn't have been in that house in the first place. Mm-hmm. But this guy had 24 windows he wanted replaced. He wanted an opening closed. He wanted another one enlarged. I mean, it was beyond just replacing windows. And I walked out of that house just lost. You know, I was I was on the verge of quitting. And then that was when I learned your methodology and instantly began making more money than my professors at the time when I was attending school at Western Michigan. So my belief was through the roof. Yeah. So it was easy for Nathan and I and for Dominic, that belief. But I think the owners and managers that didn't have that experience, and especially if they've been conditioned to do it a certain way, Breaking that mold can be a little bit of a challenge, but I do believe it starts with that belief factor. Yeah, they have to lead by example and instill that belief in their salespeople by first believing it themselves. You gave a great example. The manager must lead by example. If you take the manager takes them out and that person sees the sale being made with that methodology, that's what it takes. I've been in this business a long time. <laughs> so, you know, as I used to say, when I ran my first lead, the earth was flat. And the first lead was with the Babylonian. So it's been a long time. Way back when I got started, there used to be something called par shops. Uh, a lot of guys don't know what a par shop is. You had a bunch of old time, old fashioned salespeople, uh, very unethical, would do and say anything to get a sale. So they didn't work for companies, but there would be shops that would buy their sale from them and install them and pay them a fee. And so these par shops, now these guys 
these old-time salesmen, they used to get all their leads with canvases. They used to hire young kids to go canvas for them, two people in the car, the canvasser and the closer. And they'd go down the street and the canvasser would get the lead and the closer would go right in with the canvasser and close that deal or pitch that deal together. Now, what happened? They used to want to keep these canvases forever because it was their lead guys. Those canvassers became some of the greatest closers ever in the industry. Why? They saw that salesperson do presentation after presentation after presentation. And most likely the two words never change. The same script, the same presentation, how you handle people, how you overcome it. And they saw sales being made in enormous amounts of money beyond anything these kids could dream about being done. So they wanted in so bad, they would scream, please let me do my own, please let me do my own. You know, it's not like sticking your toe in the water where the water's always cold. They wanted to jump in. Why? They saw it. They saw it. I'm shocked. So many people in this industry have never seen a sale made before they're put out in the field. Yeah. I've heard it so many times. Mm -hmm. So many times. Where's the conviction? Where's the belief? Right. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And of course, That's whatever they see with yeah. the old par shop guy, they only saw one guy, so we saw the identical presentation. This is the only way they ever saw it being done, which is what we're talking about with the methodology. Mm -hmm. This is the way it's done, period. You cannot have anybody outside that methodology, period. So absolutely, your manager has to know this frontwards and backwards. You guys know the closest camp that you do at Carlson University. It's a three-day camp, three days, eight, nine hours a day. Now, when I did those, I did them without any of the answers. I knew all the answers, all the scripts verbatim. I used to say, I know this stuff so well I could do it drunk and have. <laughs> yeah, I think we can relate to that. Huh? It was yeah. down. It was down. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It becomes second nature. You only have to think about it. Then you really tune into your prospect. So it begins with that manager and seeing the same thing over and over. Okay. And yes, when you go into an operation where they have different methodology, uh, change is tough. Mm -hmm. Change is tough. The owners and the salespeople have got to be instilled in them that they want the change enough, they'll make the change. They make the difference. And if not, it's hard to say, you got to bring in new people who will. Because it's easy to get from new people many times. Hate to say it, oh, but okay. And for you salespeople listening to this, you got to make that decision. How much do you want it? How much do you want it? If you want to play better golf, you got to change the swing. You got to change the methodology. Because you keep using the same old swing, I was going to say you go to get the same old results. That's not true. Your results become worse because the market becomes more sophisticated. The consumer becomes more sophisticated. We have a saying, if you got a PhD seven years ago, that means you used to know a lot. You used to know a lot. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, and Rick, the good thing is once you get your core group of guys, like Nick always says, drinking the Kool-Aid, right? And they believe in it. And they apply the methodology that the snowball then in your organization grows very quickly, but you really got to work hard to really groom and mentor that first, that foundation of sales professionals to, to believe it and follow the methodology to a T. Then those ride-alongs you're talking about, it really snowballs very quickly. Mm -hmm. And like we did, you know, there in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, growing it up to 50 salespeople, every single person, a hundred percent of those people were methodical because they, every person they rode with was methodical and it just snowballs like that. But the manager really has to work hard to get that snowball started. And it, it first comes with them believing it themselves and following it to a T. It's like launching a rocket ship. Yeah. It's exactly. All the energy getting up off the ground and out of the gravitational pull. Then it's just after that, it's very easy with minor adjustments. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And that's the beauty though. When you get everyone on it together, then the salespeople can ride with anyone. They can see it from anyone. There's no question. They know how it works. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the 80-20 rule. When that happens, you reverse the 80-20 rule. Hiring becomes so easy. Mm -hmm. Hiring. Uh, Nick, I happen to know at the last closest camp that you attended, you had how many guys who did over $3 million good business with you last year? Last year, we had three or four, at least three did over. We have a guy this year that's, that's probably going to do $5 million. You got a guy who's gonna do five million. You had three guys who did over three million. Now, how many do over two 
two million. Uh, six. Uh, you had about ten people making an income of what? How, what kind of money? Two fifty to three hundred. Three hundred. Two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. All the guys that they used to drink beers and shots with them, making fifty thousand dollars a year, forty thousand dollars a year. What are they thinking? Excuse the language. They're thinking this asshole, their buddy, yeah. is making how much money? Uh -huh. I got to be as sharp as him, if not sharper. They start lining up wanting to come to work for you. Yeah, you have a waiting list. True or false? Yeah, we were just talking about that recently. They want in. They know it works. Their buddy is making two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, and living the life they want to live. That, but you got to get that organizational structure A to Z, no exceptions, no exceptions, right down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say that the that there's truth to that for sure. But in this world, maybe now more so than ever. I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this, but that people are a little more complacent than they used to be, right? The, the same work ethic, the same values really don't exist that maybe they even did for me when I got started in the early 2000s. You know, it's a different environment. And then I have reps and I have guys who are awesome. And I'm sure, you know, you can attest to this too, but they, they all tend to find this comfort zone, you know, and, and that you're either green and you're growing or you're ripe and you're rotting, right? As you, as you oftentimes say, Rick. What, how, I think a lot of people who have arrived, you know, maybe they understand the importance of the methodology, they're implementing it, they're using it. What's the key to getting people to, uh, to remain hungry, you know, so that they don't fall into that mode of complacency? How do you get your top guys to continue to want to reach higher and higher? What, what would you recommend to those who are listening? Oh, that's a tough one. I've been asked that question thousands of times, literally, maybe hundreds not a thousand, but so many times, all I can relate to, ego's the name of the game, money's only the scorecard. They will not do it because of the money. Uh, they yeah, get I their, they're very comfortable making the kind of money they're making. It's gotta be done through ego gratification. Salesperson of the month, salesperson of the year, creating that internal, uh, competition within the organization. Your top salespeople, anytime there's a contest, what happens that month? Yeah, they, get they have a great month, right? Because they get better leads that month, right? <laughs> no, because they've got to win that contest because what makes them great is they're ego-driven. Great salespeople are ego-driven. And so what you've got to do is tie it into ego. It could be the competition against other people or the competition to set a goal. You know, you have to have your wall of fame up there. You, you have to have your trophies up there. You have to have your meetings, a monthly meeting for awards of these people. It also can be company goals if they take satisfaction because with company goals, you get the peer pressure as well. Okay, if that top guy is not producing, the other guys get or gals get kind of ticked with them because they want to hit that gold as well. Your BHAG, as you mentioned before, your big, hairy, audacious goal, absolutely. Does it work with everybody? No, but it does tend to work with those top producers because the reason they're top producers relates back to that ego. If any of these people listening today, which I assume a great deal, not gonna be our salespeople, they relate to that. They will relate to that. After a while, it ain't that paycheck, it's winning, winning. Uh, it's, winning isn't is the only thing, right? Absolutely, it's that rush, that high. You all know. What are the three greatest sensations in the world? Sex, <laughs> a bowel movement, and what? A sale. When you walked out of there, how do you feel? When you hit that contest, how do you feel? When you stand in front of that room and they give you that trophy, man, you have a grin on your face so big you can put a banana in your mouth sideways, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about. Well, no, I'm glad we're talking about this and I'm glad to hear what you're saying. I mean, the answer you're given is perfect because I've been searching for these answers in my own retail. I'm in an interesting position, right? Because I'm doing the Gross University. I'm in your world now. We're consulting and I have my business, which is pretty robust. And I feel like sometimes like with Dominic, he's a bodybuilder. Everyone seems to hit a plateau, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so what motivates a bodybuilder to want to perfect every part of their body, it's that competition. It's going up on a stage in the banana hammock. Yeah, the banana hammock. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think for those who are listening, this is really good content, right? Because a lot of companies, they, they sometimes trip over uh, uh, dollars to pick up pennies. You know, they're not 
putting um, in the investment of time and money into that motivational factor. And I know I've, I even as an owner, owners get complacent, right? The fish stinks from the head down. So if the owner is getting comfortable, you know, he's comfortable with the money he's making and the reps then become complacent, things start to slide, don't they? So I'm even now, and everyone I've asked that I consider to be a mentor uh, of this question has given me a similar answer. You have to look at the, the culture, how you're creating a competitive environment. Are you doing the monthly awards? You know, and with this COVID, which we should probably talk a little bit about too, because that's a hot topic. That's a big time issue because everyone's been working from home for the last three months. You know, they've probably developed some bad habits. They probably changed some of their personal habits. And of course, we're not doing the same things we would normally do where we're bringing everyone into the office, doing those monthly awards, having that interaction. We've kind of lost that. And the idle mind's the devil's, devil's playground. And so I feel like my goal right now, the mission I'm on is to knock that the COVID dust off of everybody and get them out there again, ready to go. So I, I think your answer is spot on is just to, to continue to raise the bar, but do it through not just money, but other factors that play into motivating people who are competitive. Yeah. And I want to chime in on this because um, this is something that I really, really try to strive for. And it's from your training, Rick. The number one human desire in the planet is to be to get recognition more than money. Recognition is everything to a salesperson. Recognizing them daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, going up on stage, right? At the end of the year, the awards dinner and getting that that recognition, that, that trophy, that pat on the back, that handshake, being truly, sincerely appreciative of all the hard work they put in, demonstrating that every single day. You talk, I asked you one time, Rick, What's the number one uh, bit of advice you'd give me of being an effective manager? And you said you have to be their cheerleader. You have to be their cheerleader, right? And lift them up. And I also think this also ties in the topic of always be recruiting too, because mm -hmm. you talk about ego, right? Well, one thing I know for certain is a veteran who claim, who thinks he's the greatest does not want some rookie to come in and outsell them, right? So bringing in that fresh blood, it gets that competition going. And the rookie, what does he want to do? He's hungry. He's new. He's climbing the hill, right? You got the veteran at the top, and he's pushing that veteran to get better. And the veteran's also causing that rookie to be better. And again, it's kind of that perfect storm. But recognition is everything in life. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going blank. Who was the guy who ran the first four-minute mile? They said it was physically impossible. It's an old story. Everyone knows, but it's a great point, to run a four-minute mile. They did studies. The heart could not pump enough blood fast enough to get enough oxygen to the muscles and the bodies to do it. They said it couldn't be done. But here's the key. After Bannister did it, 330 times it was done within the next year. Yeah. Now, when you get that kind of thing you're talking about, the pro and everyone else, okay? Uh, when, that, when you get the first time someone hits 2 million, it becomes possible everyone changes their comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. First time someone does three million, what happens? Now you get a guy pacing five million. The two million guy's not even a hero anymore. <laughs> yeah. The whole comfort zone has changed. The level of expectation has changed. Life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think you can only sell a million, guess what? You will. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Okay, when you see other people, three million. Two million, three million, whatever that number happens to be. Okay, all of a sudden, everything changes in your mind. So there's a lot of factors that go into lifting that whole thing up. Absolutely. And you got to play with all of them, all of them. And it's amazing when you put that. That's right. Salespeople want that. Man, I did it. I did it. Mm -hmm. When you climb Mount Everest, so Edmund Hillary, what did it feel like? And he said, you wouldn't understand. You have to climb it to know. You have to climb it to know. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. To get that excitement and thrill going within an organization. It's contagious. It really is. Mm -hmm. We talked about COVID-19. You mentioned it. Yeah. I've been in this industry. <laughs> We're going back now. We don't want to mention 50 years type of thing. But, <laughs> and there's been a lot of hard times over that. And it's lemon and lemonade. Yeah, I wanted to ask about it because I, I know with your 50 years of experience, you I'm sure you've ran up against time and time again, challenges and obstacles, crazy times like what we're facing. So I thought that'd be an interesting topic to discuss with you because I think for guys who are younger, maybe this is their, you know, I was around for 09, 08, 09, 
my brother and I, and we all know how that story turned out. And we took our lumps and we got back up again. But that was our first taste of that defeat, of that challenge. And it made us stronger. But not everyone has had that opportunity, right? This is their first time ever facing something like this. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, historically, what what have been some of those challenges you faced and, and how do you see this playing out? I've seen it many times, even worse than eight, 2008, 2009. Okay, back in the 90s, we hit one where they stopped all financing. All financing, only cash. Unemployment was at 18%. Unbelievable. What happens is the weak die and disappear. The strong get stronger. So the strong have to adapt to become even better at what they do. Here's where the methodology really comes in. That's when you really have to be solid on the methodology because you can coast in good times and still make enough. You can't do that in bad times, whether you be a salesperson or an owner. So the weak disappear. There's a consolidation that takes place within the industry. Those that survive not only get stronger, get better, and the customer demand when you come out of it is even much higher because it's like putting a dam and the water keeps building up behind the dam and the water gets higher and higher and higher until you open that dam. There's a whole lot of water now flowing. The demand for the product is huge. There's less competition and your skill level is higher. So with salespeople right up to owners coming out of it, it's like party time. The quote that you say that we say commonly here, Rick, is the volumes for vanity, profits for sanity. And we're seeing that being more evident than ever before in our history. Um, I actually heard from a a very reliable source, I'm not going to name who, but up to 20% of the top 500 remodelers are going to go bankrupt during the shutdown. 20% of the top 500, right? Because on paper, you may have good volume, right? Maybe you do 20, 30, 40 million a year. But at the end of the day, what's that bottom line? What's that profitability, right? What's what's your what's your net profit, right? If you're only at 1% profit, a lot of these companies didn't even have the means to bridge the gap one or two months. That's why profit is for sanity. And that goes back to the methodology and everything that we train on. One thing we mentioned, our entire online platform is based around one thing, <laughs> profitability, right? Selling more profitably. The organization, having the right margin, having the right the the right pricing, having the right methodology to get the right amount of money. And I guess, you know, that's a good thing to talk about. And I think a lot of people need to know a little bit more about kind of your history. You know, you had one of the biggest window operations in, in North America at one point, RJ Grasso. You know, one thing that I think a lot of people are fairly curious about is you could have been a sales trainer in any industry in the planet Earth. You could have been an owner in any industry in the planet Earth. I guess, what is it about home improvements that allow you to dedicate 50 years of your life. And I guess you know, looking at that profitability wise, how are you able to continue to help companies grow and continue to be profitable? I mean, especially your own retail there. Well, I never chose being the home improvement industry. Yeah. <laughs> it chose me. It chose, yeah. I remember when I bought my dream house and uh, what they did is they held a block party. I lived on a little cul-de-sac and everyone in the cul-de-sac was a millionaire. And they yeah. had this block and knew what I did for a living. And at the time I was doing siding, replacing windows were almost unheard of back then. And they had this block party and would come up to you, well, gee, Rick, welcome to the neighborhood. What do you do for a living? You know, they expect a doctor, lawyer, or something. I said, I'm in the siding O business. They said, what? Siding O. They said, what? Siding O, because I'm going to say I'm in the siding business. You're going to say, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I had no... I, I had no concept of getting into the home improvement industry. Okay, but when I put my company, you're right, you know, not to brag, but a little, uh, you know. <laughs> Come on, Rick, you can brag. <laughs> uh, we built the second largest replacement window company in America in the early 80s. We're number two. We we're in the top 10 of all home improvement companies in America in the early 80s. And that happened during the worst recession of my lifetime, 8081. All financing, I said the 90s before I was wrong, it was the early 80s when that happened. All financing stopped. You could not get a loan. There were no mortgages in America. You Cash only. Unemployment went through the roof. We boomed. Why? Because everyone else stuck their sand, their head in the sand, and went under or stopped trying. 
We said there's tremendous talent out there. There's tremendous talent out there. We have the selling system. Let's go find that talent. Okay, 1980, my first year at my replacement window business, we did 800,000. 81, in the height of that terrible recession, we did 8.7 million. 82, we hit over 15 million. Mm-hmm. You talk about party time. Now, you got to relate that to those years. What would that be today? Take the training. Now, you look at COVID-19 and all the companies that couldn't do business. You look at the people. We saw lines of cars waiting to get full because they couldn't feed their kids. If the school system was closed, they couldn't give them lunch. They didn't have food. These were people who had jobs that within 30 days, they didn't have enough money to live. That is sad. That is sad. Not our people. Those guys making not even 200, even 100, 150,000, 200,000 a month. Guess what? Well, first of all, you kept them working. Mm -hmm. Second of all, even if you didn't, uh, three months, four months, they had enough money. It's a shame when you live in hand to mouth in the greatest society in the history of the world, the greatest country in the history of the world, that people settle for those kinds of income when they have the opportunity to do so much more. Because having the opportunity and having the know-how to do it are two different things. That's really what Grasso University is about, guys, and I really love what you're doing. You guys are proof. You did it with your companies. You took it exact. You were the proof that it works. And your guys, the income of your guys, the success ratio of your guys, we call the slugging average, which is your net volume per issue lead of your guys, is astronomical when you look at it. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I had a top salesman who used to work for me many, many years ago. He always used to say, you know, cut off my legs, cut off my arms, but leave my tongue alone. As long as I can talk, I'll never be on a <laughs> He says, you can drop me naked and broke anywhere in the world in the 30 days. I'll have it all back because I know how to so. sell. That's what it's all about. We can give them that. And you want to talk about security, peace of mind, whether it be your family, your children, yourself as a salesperson. I just, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And then it's up to them to know it and it's up to the managers and owners to make sure again we're the world's largest daycare center yeah i mean the irony of this COVID situation is we had that failure in 0809 nathan and i you know we learned a lot through those failures we 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 say openly that you know we didn't go out of business because the economy was failing we went out of business because we were unprepared for the economy failing but that was a good lesson i look at it like it was a positive that we had that opportunity we got back up again, obviously, and we've built what we've built. And I addressed my sales team, my organization, uh, earlier this week because we're kind of coming back out of this COVID. And we made some changes. We were built. We were still kind of repeating some of the same mistakes here at Matrix where we were pushing volume, 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 growth, growth, growth. And I would say about a year, year and a half ago, we rocked the boat pretty hard. We increased pricing, changed the commission structure, put more emphasis on NSLI, raised the bar on everyone. And there was that disruption. You know, everyone was getting uncomfortable. People were complaining. But my core group made it through. And over this last year and a half, we really, really bolstered profitability, cash flow, and we were well prepared, not knowing when the next collapse is coming, right? Because no one gives you a, a warning signal. And I, I told the team, I said, listen, although the last year, year and a half may have been painful for some of you and there was some change. Now we are in a better position than ever before, and we really are. I mean, we've never been more healthy and prepared to capitalize than we are right now. And I say it's ironic because that, that cycle we had to go through in life, Nathan and I, and, and to where we're at right now, it does all pivot back to one thing, and that's that methodology. And, and you hit it on the head. Once you know that methodology and you know the power of it, all you need is to walk into someone's home that has an interest in a product or service so you can sell them, and you can get right back up on your feet again and you can rebuild, you know, and I think that that's the thing that people need to hear, especially for those who are failing right now, is that they need to look at their mistakes that they made and how they were maybe unprepared. And it's this wake up call sometimes that you need to get back out there again and rebuild and how fast it can happen, too, is the other thing I love about this business. You can go from zero to hero just like that. And it's OK to fail. Most highly successful people have had failures. In order to fail, you have to walk. Try. I had the pleasure of attending some parties when I lived in Rome 
uh, with J.P. Morgan. And he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, I failed more than anyone you ever met. That's why I'm so rich. Yeah. Think about the message. Mm -hmm. How do you keep failing? You keep what? Getting up and getting up and getting right. up and doing it again and not let anything beat you or defeat you. Mm -hmm. It really is the prerequisite to being successful, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I say that. I mean, you never hear someone that's highly successful talk about all their success and all their greatness. Typically, they tell their stories about the failures they've experienced, mm -hmm. the challenges they've experienced. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think it's a prerequisite to becoming successful. And so I hope those who are listening, you know, can appreciate the fact that, you know, now is a great opportunity, right? Like you said, a lot of companies are failing. There's a lot more market share out there now to be had. I've been leveraging from a marketing standpoint. I probably shouldn't say this openly, but, you know, I'm negotiating with my marketing, getting that cost down a little bit. I'm pushing, pushing in every way I can, pushing on suppliers, mm -hmm. talking them down a little bit on my pricing, because look, you know, I'm taking advantage of an opportunity that I didn't have back in 08, 09, you know, when I was taking a beating. Now I'm on the other end of the spectrum and it's a beautiful thing. And, and so uh, kudos to you. I just want to say that sincerely, that it really does all tie back to going to work for Paramount Improvements back in 2002. My brother giving me this stack of these VHS cassettes <laughs> with your with your mug on there with the, with the $100 bill in the background, right? Yeah. <laughs> the buck starts here. Yeah. No, and you know, one thing a lot of companies are afraid to do is raise their prices in fear that that's going to hinder performance, right? And you talked about this all the time. The price is not the reason, right? And one thing I can tell you from my experience, every single time the prices went up, guess what else went up? <laughs> the closing. And the commissions. And the commissions. Yeah. It literally, so our prices actually went, you know, when I officially parted ways, were as high as they've ever been across the board. We continue to raise prices every single year. And the closing ratio was as high as I've ever seen it. We had some guys at 75% closing for the year. We had one guy close 40 deals in a row, being one of the higher prices around. So I think that's a good message. I guess, why do you feel that's important? And you know, how do you get through to companies that are maybe afraid to raise their prices to get the right margin? Why is that important? Price only becomes a determining factor when you fail to differentiate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've got to make that product walk on water. The greatest close in the world is a masterful presentation. Absolutely. Uh, last night, I was hungry. So I spent the afternoon making Rick Grosso's famous meat sauce and pasta for four hours cooking. Took out a phenomenal bottle, 2000 award winning Barole, uncorked, and had this wonderful meal. Now, sat down, and I have a bad tendency. I love eating, and I love drinking wine. Uh, Japanese have a term called harihachibu, which means you stop eating when you're 80% full because it takes that time for the brain to understand, it's stomach to tell the brain you're not 80% full, you're totally full. Well, mm -hmm. I didn't stop till I was 100% full, but then I didn't stop. <laughs> because that was so good, I've been thinking about it for weeks. I had to go back and have another helper. I don't know where I put it. So I had another helping. I almost threw up when I was finished. Oh, I was stuffed. I was, oh, and, but there's some more of this wonderful wine left. So my wife says, do you want some bark? I need it. You know what bark is? That's dark chocolate in like a candy form. They put little things in it like little almonds. It is delicious. Dark chocolate and wine. Oh. It sets off the wine. We're talking one of the great wines of the world. The last thing I needed was what? More food. To eat something else on top, especially at nighttime. So I took a little bit of dark chocolate with a sip of wine. I took a little bit more dark chocolate with a sip of wine. A little bit more bark, a little bit more bark. My bark was definitely bad. <laughs> I was, it was ridiculous. Here's my point. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We do what we want. Yeah. When you do a masterful presentation, what happens? Homeowner should say three things. I want, I want, I want. I change that in training. I now say, I must have it. I must have it. I must have it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have that chocolate with that wine that was left. No matter how full I was. When you finish the demo, the customer's going to say the same thing. 
You just have to show them how it fits within their budget. Okay. Uh, I tell customers, customers said to me, I can't afford it. I said, you're the first customers ever told me that. They look at me like I'm crazy. I said, but everything I've ever done, I can show them how the product pays for itself and how I can work a program for them that will fit within their budget and the product's going to pay for itself. Now, are you convinced of that? Is this something you want? Oh, yeah. Then let's figure out how to make that work because we'll show you how that work right now. Fair enough. Because we don't want you to be the first. Good enough? <laughs> yeah. But you've got to get them to that point with that masterful presentation. Then close becomes simple. Absolutely. That's part of the methodology. Having that demo, teaching that demo, training that demo, just as we talked about. No exceptions. Don't leave anything to chance. You know, and obviously there's so many great elements of your methodology that I absolutely love. You know, one thing that you just did, and you've always been a natural at this, and this is something I'm trying to get better at myself, is you are truly a master storyteller. And you are, you know, as good as they come at storytelling. And I was just listening to something about TED Talks. Uh, I don't know if you listen to TED Talks, but the average TED Talk is 18 minutes long. And they said, on average, the average TED Talk is over 60% storytelling because that's how you hold the listener's attention. <laughs> yeah. And that's just it, because people, like you talk about, they don't think in words, they think in pictures. So implanting that imagery in their mind, that positive imagery, getting to play in that positive movie. And I guess, you know, looking at that storytelling in general, <laughs> I just I just like to talk about this because I think it's important. How did you become so great at storytelling? And why do you feel that that's such an important skill set for, for salespeople to learn? The first part, I don't know how to answer. I don't know how I, this stuff I, <laughs> The second part was, uh, especially today, people do not want to be sold. When you tell them something, you are telling. Selling yeah. is not telling. Selling is getting them to believe it themselves. You do that yeah. through questions and stories. Okay, So to tell them something, they resist you, they fight you. You're, you're putting yourself in a superior position. You're talking down to them. You bend their ego. All the things we talk about in training, you guys talk about across the university. Right. You, but storytelling, you bring that point across without telling them. Yeah. Cover it. And you do it in a way that's interesting. You do it by holding their attention span. And you got to keep it up. You got to keep it light. When they're laughing, they're buying. When they're smiling, they're buying. So it's just a great way to make those points without talking at them and getting them involved and makes it so much more powerful than us trying to tell the customer that. Because when we try telling the customer they resist, you know where that ends up with? Goodbye. You know, one thing I, I relate to as it pertains to storytelling and the power of it, because obviously people buy an emotion. We all know that. And, you know, I can attest to this. I've actually had really awful things happen in my life. Right. And I didn't cry. Really awful things happened to me in my life. I didn't cry, but then I'll watch a Pixar movie, and literally by the end of it, I have like a box of Kleenex. I'm like, what in the hell is wrong with me? That's because when you allow yourself to drift away, your imagination, get immersed in that story. You know, adults love storytelling, kids, it never goes away, but that's how you keep that listener's attention. You get them fully mentally immersed in your information. It's amazing. What a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, literally, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, there's so many events. Cry at my brother's funeral. I can't watch a movie without crying. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you actually recommended that movie. I want you to talk about this too, Rick. You recommended that movie, and I watched it after you recommended The Art of Racing in the Rain. I bawled my eyes out during that movie, so thanks for that. The book is even more powerful. What a fantastic, motivational, inspirational. It is wonderful. I love it. And it's so easy because it's so involving. Yeah. So talk about the message in that, because we talk about, you know, you become what you think about and being vision oriented. So what was the main message that you, you talk about there? Well, the concept of the book was the car goes where the eyes go. Remember my son, he loves his motorcycles and he roasts him and everything else. When he first started driving a motorcycle at our ski house, uh, he ended up in the ditch. He said, because he was looking at the, as he made the turn. Yeah. Now, when you're driving a car, if you look at the right line or the left line, where's the car go? The right line right of the left line. If you drive a boat, where's the boat go? Yeah, right in in life, yeah. where do your eyes go? Where does your eyes go? Exactly where you're looking. So that's the whole concept. We talk about eagles the name of the game, getting those people to rise up with the competition, with the awards, with the recognition. That's also part of it. 
where that eye goes. We start looking at those BHAGs, those goals, and we got to get everyone in our sales organization doing that every day of their life, every single day, set in front of them what they want to accomplish and, and then getting them to believe. Yes, man. Yes, with this training. Once you have it down, you own it. Nothing can stop you. And we have the examples to prove that's true. And success begets success, just the things we were talking about before. It's beautiful. Once it's happening, that rocket ship is way beyond Earth's gravitational pull. It becomes very easy to keep it going. Well, I think this has been great. You know, mm-hmm. and I, we could sit here and talk all day, I'm sure, Rick. And, you know, it's been a while. So I'm glad we had this opportunity to catch up. And, um, you know, we all your archived content, all that masterful uh, content that you've created is on our platform for those who are listening. And if you want more of Rick, and uh, you know all the benefits of his his talks and his methodologies, and, and so check us out at GrassUniversity.com. We're gonna have Rick at the event. We're still working on the dates and the location, but we're looking for March 2021. Rick will be there. Rick was at our last event. You can hear his talk from our last event as well on our platform, which was remarkable. I actually had my family there. My yeah. my. My family's Italian, or my in-laws, I should say, are Italian, coincidentally, but they, they were there. They loved it. You know, they were like crying when they got done hearing your talk there at the last event, Rick. So I think people listening should look forward to seeing you. And uh, we appreciate you joining us for this for this uh, podcast today. I appreciate it. I love this business. I mean, as I said, it's not something I chose. It ended up choosing me. Thank God. I love it. I love what's done for my family, my lifestyle, my personality. The most important Uh I love training. And the thing that gives me the greatest thrill with the training is the phone calls, the emails that I get back. And I hate using the word, ah, you guys are getting it now as well. Okay, when you hear from the people you work with, have you changed their lifestyle? Have you changed their income levels? Have you changed their self-confidence level, their self-esteem? And uh, for those who want more, get yourself to Grouse University. The YouTube guys are phenomenal. Uh, you have this thing down. You've had it down forever. You're so good at it. Uh, I'm thrilled that you're taking on Grouse University and the legacy. I appreciate it. And I thank you for doing it. Yeah, Rick. And I just want to say, you know, on record here on this podcast, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know, the gifts that you gave me 10 years ago that you know, literally changed my life. I never, like you said, the home improvement industry chose me. It's kind of a similar story. I never, I went to college for business. I had no idea what I was going to do. The industry chose me. And if it wasn't for your methodology, I promise you, I would not be where I'm at. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for that gift that you gave me. And again, it's our mission here to pay it forward now and give that gift to the industry. So beautiful. Thank you. All right, guys. So I appreciate you tuning in to our third Yes, I Am a Closer podcast. So make sure you share this with your friends and family. And as always, yes, you are a closer. Make it a great day. Fantastic.